There's no Pinterest perfect family. All of our families are awkward. Thank you for joining Crosspoint Fellowship Podcast of My Awkward Family, designed to knock some of the awkward out of all of us. Uh, we, we, a few weeks ago, we were sitting down at our dinner table, we were eating dinner, and so for those of you that don't know, we've got four boys, so uh, all six of us were around the table, and, and when four of the six cannot have an adult conversation, in fact, they cannot have an inside voice for longer than five words, it gets a bit chaotic around our dinner table at times, and so... Uh, so it was just, it was one of those times, it was just completely chaotic. Everybody, I think everybody was talking at the same time, and, and Nicole and Noah were on uh, our, our bench, and, and, and Nicole was, was looking to her right to Elijah Josiah as, as he was talking, and, and she was uh, listening and engaging with him, and, and I don't know if we had been talking about this or what, uh, all of a sudden, Noah turned to her, which because he was to her left, she was looking right, he was to her left, he looked at her, and, and just to the back of her head, to the back of her head, just yelled out, I want a dog! I want a real dog! <laughs> We're in this series, we're actually concluding this series, My Awkward Family, and that's one of our kind of awkward family stories, but My Awkward Family, but... What I want you to take home from this series, no matter if you've been here for one week or if you've been here for all, well, uh, four weeks, but listen to the podcast for that fifth week. What I want you to take home is that God used an awkward family. I mean, the guy, the, the, the dad in this family had two wives, all right? I mean, you know, we had pickup lines for, you know, this whole thing up here, and that was awkward. I mean, the guy had two wives. But they had imperfect faith still. And God used them to change the course of their nation. That's what I want us to take home from this series. That we don't have to be an awesome family. In fact, when we think we're an awesome family. See, from last week, Eli and his sons thought because they were the priests, they were the awesome family. See, when you think you're the awesome family, you don't need faith. See, an awkward family with imperfect faith can make an, a tremendous impact. That's who God uses. And that's what I want you to go home with from this series is that we do not have to be an awesome family. In fact, when we think we're awesome, that's when we've missed it. And this last, the last week, the podcast week, uh, because we were, we were out because of the snow, and then this week, we're taking a look at that discipling the next generation. And some of you, many of us, have the next generation right there living in our homes. Some of you don't. Some of you don't anymore. Some of you don't because you haven't. Some of you don't because you're single, and that's just way better that way. And maybe you're single and you have. You still have that next generation in your home. How do we raise up that next generation? And those of you that don't have the next generation in your home, whether anymore or never or whatever, we have the next generation in our church. And we're actually going to take a look at a story today where a surrogate father discipled the next generation. It wasn't the biological father. It was a surrogate father that, 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 that discipled the next generation. And so we need, we need five to seven adults to engage with every kid and every student to make disciples. So even if we have 
a parrot or a set of parrots, two parrots, one parrot, that, that are engaging and making disciples inside their home, we still need adults around those students and those kids to make disciples. But last week, the foundation of making disciples of the next generation is to teach them to honor God above all else, to have a relationship with him. Because we saw that Eli's sons didn't have a relationship with the Lord. So therefore, even though they were the priests, therefore they felt like they could do whatever they want. They were entitled and they were impulsive. And the deal is, is that when we're entitled and we're impulsive, we feel like we are obtaining life. But the thing is, is that it's a mirage of life. And we have a next generation that is tired of a life of mirage, a fake life. They are crying out like, like Noah, I want a real dog. I'm tired of stuffed animal dogs. I want a real dog. We've got a generation crying out, I want a life. I want a real life. I don't want a fake life. I want something that's real. And something that's real. We, we, we obtain a real life by honoring God above all else and pursuing abundant life. We saw the two sons of Eli pursue entitlement and impulsiveness. And it left hurt in their wake. It's fake. It's not real. It'll leave hurt. But how, how do we build on that foundation? How do we really give in to that next generation? Or what will it look like if we do? We're taking a look at a story. If you've been around church at all, you've heard the story. You've seen it flannel graphed out. You've heard it in, in Sunday school and et cetera. And it's a nice little cute little story if you stop it at a certain point. But it gets pretty intense if you keep it going. But most Sunday school classes, most flannel board stories stop at the intensity part. Because we like our stories, our Bible stories, cute and cuddly and, 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 and happy. But it's intense. This is when God called Samuel. And this isn't God calling Samuel and saying, oh, you're a good little boy. I've got so many plans for you. Everything is going to be nice and sweet for you. He calls him to intensity. Samuel's probably 7 to 14 years old at the time that, 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 that this happens. He's either upper elementary or, or, or middle school in our, in our vernacular. And he was born to, to Elkanah and Hannah, Hannah who couldn't have children and poured her heart out to God because she couldn't have children. And, and he, she had Samuel and she had made a vow to the Lord to say, if you give me a child, I will give him over to you to serve you in the tabernacle all of his days, which was dumb. That was not wise of her because that meant that Eli was going to be her son's surrogate father. This Eli, the elephant in the room, was that he was awful at parenting. We looked last week that his sons, the first words penned about his sons were, they were worthless men. And, and Hannah goes, because of my vow to the Lord, I'm going to give him over to be a surrogate son to this father who kind of blew the first two chances he had. Most people would call her crazy. But she does it anyway. Gives him over to the Lord. And he starts serving in the temple. And he's serving in the temple. And, and, and Eli's getting advanced in age. And he's getting, getting to be blind. 
And, and one night, Samuel lays down in the temple. I mean, not the temple. At the time, it was actually the tabernacle, the, the tent that, that they would pick up and move when, when they were coming from uh, uh, Egypt to, to Israel. And, and, and he, he laid down. He laid down inside the tent, inside the tabernacle. He was where the, 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 the candle was. It said that the candle was about ready to go out. What we... What, the picture that, that you should get is, is menorah. It was the menorah that was about ready to go out. And the light was dim. And Samuel laid down to go to bed and go to sleep. And he heard, Samuel. Samuel. And so because Eli was getting advanced in age and he couldn't see, he was used to helping Eli with just everyday tasks. So he gets up and he goes to, goes to Eli and says, Here I am, Eli. You called for me. What do you want? I'm filling in some blanks here, but I mean, it's mostly in the, in, in the story if you read it. Eli, Eli's like, I didn't call for you. I just want to go to sleep. Go back to bed. Go back to bed. We're, you know, those of you that have kids or have had kids that, you know, as soon as you like are dozing off to sleep and they come in, mom, mom, what do you want, right? So Samuel, Samuel goes back to bed, and he lays down. Remember, Samuel's like 7 to 14 years old. And so, I mean, let's not spiritualize this story too much. Yeah, he served the Lord in the temple, but let's not spiritualize it too, too much. I mean, these are real people. So again, he hears, he lays down, and he hears, Samuel, Samuel. Well, he gets up going, I know his eyesight's failing, but good grief, is he going crazy too? So he goes in there. Eli, what, what, would you, what would you like? You're calling out to me. Eli's like, I'd like to go to sleep. Why do you keep coming in here? I'm not calling out to you. He's probably thinking, what is up with this kid? Why did Hannah drop him off? I cannot get sleep. And this is the, one of the biggest things that we as adults need to understand and we as adults need to pass off to the next generation. Because it says here that Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. See, the, the word of the Lord was rare in that day. Why? Because the, the first Samuel picks off, off where judges left off, picks up where judges left off, and judges left off saying everybody did what was right in their own eyes, meaning they just did whatever they thought, whatever felt good, and then called that right. And so Eli's sons were, the, were kind of a prime example of that. They did whatever they felt like doing and called that right. And, and, and when people are not seeking God, he just doesn't talk to them. He might be talking to them, but they're not listening. And so here, here Samuel had not heard the, heard the word of the Lord before. And what was, what was the Lord with him? He, the Lord was patient with him. What is patient? God is patient. See, I don't know. Maybe some of you are scared that, that, that after, after God calling out to you for the first time, it's like, boom, if you get it wrong, it's over. It's over. It's not over. God is patient. God is patient. God calls out to, to Samuel four times in this story. We've already gotten, gotten to two so far. God is patient. 
And adults, the next generation needs to know that God is patient. We need to model that for them to let them know, look, you're not going to get it right. But that's okay. God is patient with you. God wants you to, 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 to hear and follow, and he's patient. It's not going to be right. It's going to be an imperfect faith. God is patient. Or maybe you say, hey, I know the story. I've read the story, and I listened to the sermon last week and, 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 and everything, but, but God wasn't patient with Eli and his two sons. God brought a message of judgment to those guys. Telling them they were going to, he was going to kill both of his sons on the same day and end the family line of Eli. I mean, that's not patient. That's judgment. Okay, let's, let's illustrate it this way. So the two sins that, that the Bible actually specifically talked about Eli's sons doing was stealing from people when they were sacrificing. They were there worshiping the Lord, and they were stealing from them. So that would be like, as, as you were in here, you left your coat, your purse up, hanging up, and I instructed people, hey, go through their coat and purse. We need some extra money for tithe. So as you're in here worshiping, we're out there pilfering your purse and your coat for extra money for tithe. And then the other sin of Eli's sons was that they were having sex with the young girls who were serving the Lord in the tabernacle. So... Maybe you would hear this next week that I was having sex with young girls serving the Lord in the church. How much patience would you have with me? Paul or Phil would be preaching next week, correct? Rightly so. Now, we're talking about God's patience, correct? These two guys were doing this for years, if not decades, before he said enough is enough. God patient? Romans 2 says this. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Paul is talking to Jews who are sinning, just outright sinning. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? See, even, even now today, See, the description of, of the people and judges of just doing whatever they feel is right and calling it right, that's what we do today. It's no different. And then what we do, what we do is we say that God is blessing us. It's called common grace, God's kindness, and God's patience for us to, to, to repent. He is patient with us for us to turn our heart to him. The message is, is that God is patient. We don't have to get it right the first time. We don't have to get it right the second time. And for the next generation, we want you to hear and follow the Lord. We want you to go out on mission. It's not always going to look pretty. Sometimes it's not going to work the way we think it's going to work. But adults, we need to be there ready to pick them up and say, come on, let's keep going. And, and, and sometimes it is going to be that you fall morally. And adults, we don't need to be there with, with our sermons and our lectures, and you shouldn't have, and you don't need to. And God, thus saith the Lord, we need to be there with God's patience, God's love, and God's kindness, and God's forgiveness, and God's mercy, and God's grace, saying, come on, let's go. Let's go. It's not the end for you. That's what he wanted for Eli's sons. That's why he was patient with them. 
And he's patient with us as well. Don't just think about the times that he's been patient with you, even though we've been morons, right? All of us. That's what we need for the next generation to be able to show them the patience of God. And then finally, the third time, 1 Samuel 3, 8, the third time that God called out, Samuel got up and went to Eli, and now he's like, it's me and Eli in here. I keep hearing my name. It has to be him. He's losing his mind. He's going crazy. Students, you've never thought that about your parents, right? It's rhetorical, okay? You can keep that to yourself. And then he goes in. Here I am, did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. And Eli's physical blindness, some, some would say that's kind of a, a living metaphor, a, a real metaphor for um, the spiritual blindness that Eli had. And so <clears throat> a light bulb comes on in Eli and realizes this is, if it's not me, Samuel's never been like crazy before, so it's not Samuel. He's really hearing something, so if it's not me, it's got to be the Lord. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down again, and if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. What does Eli do? He, as the adult, leads Samuel as the student, as the next generation, on how to hear from God, on how to hear from God. Are we leading the next generation on how to hear from God? God gave us three tools on, on, on hearing from him, his Bible. Parents, are we sitting down and saying, let's, let's read? I'm not saying every night. I'm not sure that we did it at all this past week. I was thinking back this morning. And it's going to be awkward. They're going to roll their eyes. Look, our family, they could read uh, library books for hours. But as soon as I say, go grab, and we have a comic book Bible. As soon as I say, go grab the Bible, they start rolling their eyes. It's the pastor's kid. It's going to be awkward. It is going to be imperfect. But are we leading them? Are we leading them? Those of you that have kids that don't talk back, you've got it easy. You can just read to them and they've got to take it. Are we leading them in, in hearing? By sitting down with them and reading God's word with them? Are we teaching them how to pray? I don't know how to pray. Do you know how to talk? Do you know how to talk to people? God is a people. He proved that by being Jesus. Sure, he might not be sitting right here physically that we can see him, but he wants that same relationship with us. And we're going to talk about something that we can pray here in a little bit. And then community. 
God uses this community of people to, to speak, to hear. Are we training our kids up to hear from God through community? So right now we've got adults right over there teaching our, our kids on how to hear from God as a part of a community. And some of you are on rotation with that. You are not babysitting kids. You are teaching them how to hear from God. You are discipling the next generation when you go over there and serve. When you show up on Sunday nights, our, our student small group is Sunday night, 6 o'clock, right? 6 o'clock? Yeah? Sunday nights at 6 o'clock. If you come and help, you are not helping Paul. You're not helping Paul. You are making disciples of the next generation. That's what you're doing. We need people with that vision of making, teaching them how to hear from God as a part of the community. And those that are parents, it is vital that you teach them that hearing from God, being part of the community, community is vital. That we want to create an environment that you want to be in church. And I don't talk about, you got to be in church, you got to be in church, you know. And it's not about that, being in church every day for the next 90 years. But is community, hearing from God as a part of community, is that important to you? Guess what? Our kids are listening. We will make disciples of the next generation, period. Either towards God or away from God. They're watching. There's listen. Everything we do has a message. What are we telling them? Intentionally or unintentionally? What are we telling them? And then, and then, Eli. Eli knew what the message was going to be. He knew that it was going to be a message of judgment, and we'll get into that in a, in a, in a little bit. But after, after the next morning, after the Lord spoke to Samuel, this is what Eli said. What did the Lord say to you? Tell me everything, and may God strike you and even kill you if you hide anything from me. Like, that's nice of you, Eli. What's he doing here? What's he doing here? Yeah, none of you parents have ever said anything like that to your kids, right? Strike you down. May God so help your soul. <laughs> Sounds like you've heard that, Courtney. <laughs> What's Eli? <laughs> Different words. Words I cannot repeat from up here. No. <laughs> what is Eli doing here? Okay. He started with leading Samuel in hearing from God. This, this, he is leading Samuel to follow God. What did you hear from God? Now follow him. Eli knew what, this was going, what, what the message was going to be. He knew that Samuel was going to be afraid. And so he knew he had to challenge Samuel to follow God. Adults, are we encouraging and challenging our kids and our students to follow God? Because that next step is the most difficult step that we've got. It's the most uncomfortable step that we've got, that next step. Are we leading them and taking that next step? Are we leading them and challenging them too? They want a challenge. Students, 
I believe you want a challenge. It's ingrained in you. Are we leading them to the challenge of hearing and following the Lord? And what are we really leading them in? We already read this. What did Eli tell Samuel to go lay down and say? Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. We have got to, we have got to pass down a servant mentality. Now again, our actions speak louder than our words. Be a servant, be a servant, be a servant. And then we on Facebook rebel against everything that is authoritative as adults. Local government, school districts, federal government. Oh, I saw this article on Obama. Look at this cartoon. This is funny. I'm going to share it. Are we telling our students it's okay to make fun of our government and rebel? Look, Paul told us to respect our government. And he's talking about a guy killing Christians. No matter what you think about Obama, he's not doing that. If our students see us rebelling against our government, what are they going to think that, 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 that Christians do? Make fun of and rebel against the government. Everything we do is being watched by our next generation. And we will make disciples no matter what. Do we ourselves have a servant mentality when it comes to our authorities in our life, our bosses? Do we have a servant mentality? To our church, so many of you here, you serve the church and you give a great example there. Now, you're saying, wait a minute, does this mean I've got to be perfect? No, the next generation is not crying out for perfection. The next generation is crying out for authenticity, which means when we blow it, we don't hide it underneath the rug and act like we're perfect. We go, blow, blew it. Will you forgive me? What are we teaching them there? Repentance is a healthy part of life. Forgiveness is a healthy part of life. Having a soft heart is a healthy part of life. If we're shoving it underneath the rug, we're telling them the forgiveness of God is not important in our life. Looking like we've got it all together, that's the most important thing. And the next generation will go, out. See ya. I call them the students and young adult generation, SYAs, CS. And if we're not willing to live out the gospel, that's what they will be to the church. See ya. Are we leading them and having a servant mentality? And are we training them up to have a servant mentality? Because we've got to decide to have a servant mentality before the Lord even speaks. Because when he does speak, it's not going to be, oh, you're so cute. You're awesome. I've got so many plans for you, which he does. 
when he speaks, the next step is going to be incredibly uncomfortable. Paul and I were talking this week, laughing because you have heard it said, I'm going to use a line from Jesus, you have heard it said that God doesn't give you anything more than what you can handle. Go ahead, go search for that in the Bible. You'll die searching. It's not there. God did say he'll not give you, he'll not allow anything to tempt you that you cannot handle. But he wants each one of us to live inside of a life that we go, I can't handle this. Why? Because if we can't handle it, where do we go? Got to go to God, right? Got to go to God. And if we haven't decided to have a servant mentality before he speaks, when he does speak, woo, out. That's way too tough for me. My nice little suburban lifestyle is too comfortable for this. I'm out. When he spoke to sin, this is what he said. That's awesome. It's going to stay. Because we don't have a nice little easy thing to adjust. So it's just going to stay. 310. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. What does that mean? I've had things tingle before, but my ears? Modern day translation. Lord comes, Samuel, Samuel, speak for your servant is listening. Hey, Samuel, the next thing I'm about ready to say, when you tell people what I've said, they're going to say, holy crap, God said that? Are you sure God said that? what that means. And what does it say about Samuel? Samuel stayed in bed until morning and got up and opened the doors of the tabernacle as usual. He was afraid to tell Eli what the Lord said. Let's put ourselves in Eli or Samuel's shoes. He's 7 to 14 years old. And God gives him a message of judgment saying that your sons are going to die and you're going to die and your bloodline is going to end. To your, and you go tell your surrogate father, and by the way, he's the priest of the nation of Israel, go tell him. So it would be kind of like you uh, having, having, having an adult that is outside of your family and, and, and maybe like a godfather, you, you call him a godfather, or, or maybe it's an adult that, 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 that you're so close to. He's not your uncle, but you call him your uncle, you know, that sort of thing. And he's also a pastor. And then God one night comes to you and says, you know what? He's knocking up ladies in this church. Go tell him I don't like that. Would you get much sleep that night? Probably not. Would you be terrified to tell him that? Probably so. This is what Samuel is experiencing. This was his next step. 
We've got to disciple the next generation to do hard things. Now, I did not say big things. There's kind of this Christianity stream that says, dream big things for God and do big things for God. Guess what? God can dream big on his own. He doesn't need our help to dream big. He can do big things on his own. He doesn't need our help to do big things. Now, do hard things means the next step that he's going to give us is going to be the hardest step that we have to take so far in our lives. So for some of us, that means sitting down and calling our students and kids to open up the Bible is, is, is our next step. And it's going to be uncomfortable. Are we willing to lean into the uncomfortableness and say, I don't care. I'm going to go through it. See, the hardest things in life to do are the smallest. We a lot of times ask God, what's your big vision for my life? In order to ignore the small things. Students, the small things means that the next time you show up at school, which isn't tomorrow probably for you, but the next time you show up to school, you're not a student, you're a teacher, so no, no students marry a bell here. Next time you show up to school, students, that means you show up with a servant's attitude, ready to serve your teachers as if they were God. Because, oh, by the way, God tells us to. Colossians 3.23. Work willingly. Really, that means diligently at whatever you do, as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. The hardest thing maybe you have to do, students, is to show up the next day at school and say, I'm going to serve everybody around me as if they are the Lord. Or show up at flipping burgers or, or babysitting or, or whatever you do. Say, I'm not working for my boss. I'm working for the Lord. Adults, do you work for your boss as if they were the Lord? They're not the Lord. Great. So work for the Lord. He's better. Unbelieving bosses, I have heard, I have heard it come out of their mouth, have a hard time hiring believing workers because they have an Horrible work ethic. It's unbiblical. Unbiblical. It's not hearing and following the Lord. That's not giving a message to the next generation saying, when you show up, do good work. Do the hard things. Do the small things. Because Jesus says, if I can trust you with the small things, then you will get more. And maybe you're like, do hard things. That's not life. That's where abundant life is. Abundant life is found when you give your life over to a mission. Abundant life is not found in laziness and entitlement and impulsiveness. That's a facade. That's a facade. Real life is found. Real life, abundant life in God is found in giving your life over to a mission, completely the mission of God. And he's put you in the school, he's put you in your work, he's put you in your family, he's put you in your neighborhood for a reason. And when we decide every day to, to say, I am your servant, Lord, I'm listening. And when he speaks, faith says we go and do what he says with the best of our ability. 
Now, there are going to be some days that will be crawl days. I mean, I've had a, I've had a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago, a, a, a couple of weeks where, where, you know, flu and sickness and physical and, and all of this, they were crawl sort of days. But are you even in those crawl days saying, I'm going to do everything I can to honor God by hearing and following him? Students want to challenge. They want a challenge. And if we accept this challenge, this is the sort of life we get to have. And Samuel. Sorry, lost my place. And Samuel grew up. The Lord was with him. And everything Samuel said proved to be reliable. And all Israel, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, knew that Samuel was confirmed as prophet of the Lord. Not because Samuel said he was, but because the Lord had put something on his life. I call it the it factor. The spiritual term for it is anointing. Some of you, depending on your background, you hear anointing and go, oh. No, don't be scared of anointing. Just call it the it factor. It is the, it is the thing. It is the thing that, that God places on our life when we hear and follow him that makes people turn their head and listen and go, man, there is something about your life. Adults, don't we want something about our life that people listen to that they cannot pinpoint? As students, don't we want something about our life that when people get into trouble, they come to us because there's something about our life that's different, it's the it factor. We cannot state claim to that and say that we have done that because God has put that on our life. It's not something we can quantify. And when we hear and follow him no matter what, he puts the it factor on our life increasingly, increasingly, increasingly. And the number one way you do that, find your gift, live in it. Find your gift, live in it. Work hard in your gifting. I don't know what my gift is. We'll help you through that. That's what the community is all about. But he doesn't give us the it factor for us. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, 1 Samuel 7, a few chapters later, this is the purpose God had on Samuel's life right here to change the course of his nation. If you are returning to the Lord with all of your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you and direct your heart to the Lord. Have a relationship with him and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the asterisks and they will serve the Lord only. God's purpose for Samuel was to lead his nation in revival back to him. But it started that day, that night that he heard and followed God. And God began to put an it factor on his life so that when Samuel later said this, a few chapters later, people listened and responded and repented. Adults, do we want to raise up a revival generation? It can be. It can be. Students, revival historically comes from high school and college students. Let's say, I'm the Lord's servant. You want to know what to pray as a family? You want to know what to pray as a person? I am your servant, Lord. I'm listening. I'm listening. 
Can we lead the next generation in that? Because that won't stop with us. It will impact other people's lives because he will tell us when we are his servant, we are other people's servants. And we'll serve other people. And we do this environment intentionally so that really the younger generation, the next generation will feel comfortable worshiping God, hearing from God. And look, it is biblical. Paul tells us in, 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 in Corinthians, he says, look, those of you that have been around God longer and have done this thing longer and have heard and followed longer, you put your preferences aside so that you can disciple those who are just starting out and who haven't known the Lord yet in a way that they get it. That's why we do what we do here. But we don't want to do this for the next generation. We want to do this with the next generation, standing alongside of us and serving. And many of you do serve. But we need greeters. Those of you that like, like people, like shake people's hand, make people feel comfortable, make people who are far from God, who think that the first thing the church is going to do is judge them to make them feel welcome. How awesome would it be? With Clyde. got a teenager right there alongside of him. And then Gideon, college student age himself, leading our ushers. And, and, and this is more behind the scenes. Like, I don't do well with people. Great. You can do well with the inanimate objects like chairs. <laughs> awesome. Kids, you like kids? Nicole would love to use you. We've got students working with kids almost every week. Our next series, Sinner's Party. This series, if you've been around church for any amount of time at all, is going to be uncomfortable for you. Because we've painted Jesus in this nice little spiritual box that he just bursts out of. But this series is designed to defeat stereotypes about what church is. Boring, stale, no laughter, next series is leading up to Easter. This is a great opportunity to impact somebody's life and say, look, 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 look. Church isn't the way you think it is. And Jesus proves that because he hangs out at sinner's parties. Do we want a revival? It's a question. Do we want to lead it in the next generation? Next generation, do you want it? Use this time to say, Lord, I am your servant. I am listening. What do you want to say? I challenge some of you adults. If you've got a student there close to you, or, or, or maybe even you move to a student that, that, that you know, pray with them about having a servant attitude with God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. I pray, Lord, that Man, this is going to be imperfect. It's, not going, to, it's going to be awkward inside of our families and et cetera. But you, took, you gave us this story to show us that, that, that you take families that are awkward and that have imperfect faith, but you use them to change nations. 
I don't know what you have in store for us. But allow us to take that next step even though it's uncomfortable. Give us the courage to take that next step. Give us somebody else that will give us the courage to take the next step even though it is fearful. Let us be a people that serve you alone. And because we serve you alone, we serve those far from you in amazing ways. Use our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand with us. I'll be in the back if you want to talk with somebody, pray with somebody. Otherwise, pray. God, I'm your servant. I'm listening. What do you want? Thank you for listening to the Crosspoint Fellowship Podcast. We invite you to join us on a Sunday at 10 a.m.